Charles Darwin, in his original species, said that it's not the most intellectual of the species that would survive, not even the strongest, but it's actually the species that is able to adapt and adjust to the changing environment. And now this holds true even with companies and organizations. We've seen in the last 36 to 40 months that companies really require agility to survive and thrive in this hyperdynamic, contact-free, digital-first environments. And this is something that we've been seeing in a lot of organizations. I'm Gautam Palpa. I'm the founder of Transformity, a thought leadership group that helps transform organizations with empathy and technology. I'm also an executive advisor at VMware, where I, I have the honor and privilege of working with a number of C-suite and executives on their transformation journey in various industry verticals. And one of the things that I've seen consistently across these various verticals over the last 36 months is that there is an innate desire to deliver things to the customer faster, which means we want to make sure that our applications are modern and they are able to deliver value quicker to the customers. And so it is obvious that this market driver or this need within the, end, within the market is making the CIOs to focus a lot on app strategy. It's become critical for the business, and so they need to adapt to new technology. Like in a survey that we conducted, over 91% of the CIOs said that app strategy, that is modernization and migration, is their top priority. And McKinsey released a survey as well, which said a study which said that the organizations that get that app strategy right can release apps exponentially faster than their competitors, giving them that market edge. So there is a lot of benefit to going into newer technology and adapting to it and actually helping deliver value quicker to the customers. Um, in some cases, this accelerated application delivery is across hybrid clouds, and that increases the agility and it helps us to de develop, to operate and optimize apps at scale on any cloud anywhere. So for example, we have seen up to 417x deployments with the high performance, which is a huge amount if you think about it. But all of this has resulted in delivering value to the customers faster. So 35% of them say that the revenue increased due to this faster app development. And also because we are continuously improving it and we are delivering things faster with an improved developer experience, customers have a better satisfaction because they can get to things quicker. And that increases the revenue as well. So it's a whole tied together. And this is a really good thing that we are able to accelerate the application delivery and the delivery of business value to our customers. However, this comes at a really huge price. If you think about it, it has become so complex. We have so many tools, we have so many teams, we have so many objects and moving parts and all of this causes so much of complexity. Consider this for one cloud where you have to do all of these various items that are listed out here and then multiply that with a hybrid cloud environment. Like the complexity is increased. And the best way to show this when we are trying to identify the right tools and technologies that we can orchestrate and string together to deliver this value 
the best place to look at it is CNCF, the landscape. Like it is exploded with so many projects. Like every one of these projects that you see out here is valuable in its own right and it can actually solve a business need. So as an architect or as a developer, what are the tools that you're going to stitch? How are you going to approach it? Because every tool that you are going to introduce into an organization has repercussions and ripple effects. So let's take a look at a sample path to production that we have. So I'm going to focus um, only on the dev teams and then uh, the platform infra, infra or infosec teams. So I'm going to put it as two, uh, as an entire bucket together. So you have the dev and the ops, just to make it simpler. Um, various organizations operate in different ways, but I'm trying to simplify the flow. So from a dev perspective, the first thing that you want to do is you want to build and test your apps in a sandbox, on your laptop, wherever it is. Um, for that, you probably need to write your own application pipeline. You want to build and test your app infrastructure in a sandbox. So that means you have to have some kind of a YAML. And that is one thing that has exploded through all of these various tools. Like we are living in YAML hell. There is so much of YAML going on um, right now. But so you can either build and test your infrastructure yourself in your sandbox, or you can probably take help of your platform team and do it. But ideally, it is build and test. There's going to be some kind of iteration by yourself, your unit testing, all those various things. And then afterwards, when you feel that it is kind of ready to go, then you have you introduce a ticket to approve the environment. And that goes to the platform team, and then the platform team builds it. They're going to code the baseline info requirements. It's infrastructure as code. But that does mean that all these various bullets that you have down here um, are individual things that have to be created. So as you can see, that's a lot of work. But again, that's a lot of YAML. And then afterwards, we're going to take that infrastructure as code and we're going to code this infrastructure requirements in. I'm going to take the example of Kubernetes clusters because it's more prolific right now and and the Kubernetes environments are really complex because there's a lot of scaffolding that goes around it. So I'm going to take that as an example. And so you have dashboards, you have alerts, you have logs, you have databases, you have message queues, and then you have pull requests with the platform teasers, the reviews going on. It's a loop and a continuous process that goes on there. And then afterwards, you're going to build your CICD pipeline. You're going to use like Helm charts, or maybe there are other things that you're going to use, Terraform, you name it, whatever. Um, and then afterwards, you have secrets management. So building in the credentials, doing all these various things, the RBAC, ingress, uh, deployments, firewall rules, all those other items are going to happen. And after you package all this and it all works together, then you may need to make revisions to the pipeline to deploy it into your production environment. And then you do the package and release management. You have a ticket to approve. Everyone blesses it. It's all good. And then afterwards, you have you have the deployment either through um, the CD portion of things or through a manual process. Maybe it's a manual intervention in your organization. The platform team is going to deploy it. You have the app running. And then afterwards, you, it all works together in a cloud operating model. And then you repeat it for different clouds. So as you can see, there is a lot of friction that is going on here. There is so much of iterations, there is so much of time and um, intellectual sync 
that happens here, causing a lot of weight and churn and probably waste within our value stream. So if you actually think about it, there is considerable and significant friction in the flow of value through this value stream. There has to be a better way. And so if we have to find this better way, we need to take a step back and rethink and reimagine how we are approaching this problem and how we are solving it. It's not just technology for the sake of technology. We need to recognize two things. The first thing is that technology by itself is only an enabler. It can only accelerate you to an outcome, but it doesn't create value in itself. The second thing I want you all to recognize is that it is strategic disruption that is introduction of newer technologies and trying to do things in a different way, but it is doing that in a strategic way that actually causes progress. So we need to be very innovative about it. And this is why I believe we need to take a step back and we need to look at our value streams and our paths and our processes, and we need to transform them through empathy. So as I said, with that particular example, with the path to prod, there's a considerable amount of manual friction and pain that we go through in that particular example, right? So our goal in approaching this and making things better has to be to reduce pain for our teams, for us internally, and for the humans that are actually trying to create the value. Now, reducing that pain can be really beneficial because once you reduce that manual friction and you go into faster delivery, what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to find ways in which you can introduce automation to reduce the pain. So you're moving things away. All the mundane tasks can probably be automated or repetitive tasks or things that you know are lesser value can probably be introduced. And that causes the fa faster delivery through automation. And now when we start delivering things faster through automation, what we get is the business value. We start delivering business value faster. The customers are going to be happier. And that's what really helps. And the way we have to do it is through creating those golden paths within our organization. And that's what really helps. Now, as we start del delivering that business value, what happens is we are improving the flow of business value within the organization. And that helps reduce the pain. And pretty soon you'll start realizing that as you go through iterations of this, you're not reducing in just the intrinsic pain or the pain within the organization, the developer experience, the operator efficiency, um, or just the amount of manual toil that is required to deliver value. But because of this approach, you're also delivering and re more value to the customer faster and reducing that pain that they are going through as well. And that, that is exciting because that's truly what we're doing through a transformation, right? That creation of this loop is what drives innovation. And so what we want to do with innovation is we need to unleash it with the systemic thinking. We need to go with, firstly, we need to find ways to accelerate the time to market. That is the most important thing that we want to do, right? It's faster delivery. It's time to market, and we want to differentiate ourselves and delight the customer. The next one is we want to scale seamlessly and automatically 
we don't want to do manual cutovers and manual growth of clusters or any of the other assets that we have. We want to seamlessly add and reduce it on demand with automation. We then want to enable rapid change. We don't want to be up at night when something goes bump. We want it to self-heal. We want it to automatically make changes quickly. We also want to, while we're developing things, we want to make sure that we have improved developer experience, we have quality, we have security, and we have compliance as we are making these changes because it's not upon us alone to do this. We want to make it much more from a systemic approach. And when we drive all these various things, we want to drive that positive culture. We want to have trust. We want to have empathy. We want to have psychological safety to experiment and do all these things. And then we want to bring in that fail fast, often, and cheap. And that's why enabling that rapid change is really important. If something goes wrong, we can fail fast. We can fail cheap. And then we can iterate really quickly and deploy a hot fix or a patch or maybe roll back, whatever your organization requires. But that requires the ability to have that psychological safety. Obviously, we want to measure and optimize. So we want to make sure there are systemic ways to uh, measure and provide that visibility and that instant feedback, immediate feedback on how the applications are working, how the services are working. We want to make sure that the change actually affected and introduced value to the organization and to the customers. And we want to check their performance and we want to check their usage. We want to minimize the security vulnerabilities. We want to make sure that we are secure by default. Or at least we have a really strong security posture. And we want it to be systemic. So we want to minimize those vulnerabilities that are there. And also enable the rapid change so that if we find something like a new CVE, we'll be able to patch that quickly and we won't take a lot of time. And because we're measuring, measuring and optimizing, we actually have visibility into what's happening. It won't be like that Log4j incident, for example, where we don't even know where things are broken. and what is calling which library. So we want to have a systemic way to minimize those vulnerabilities. And finally, we want to enable people. We want to enable teams. We want to educate them. We want to engage with them. And then we want to eliminate any kind of manual friction or waste that we have. So these are the seven things that we need to focus on when we're trying to introduce innovation with the teams and turbocharge our teams within our organization. In other words, what we as leaders and what we as change agents want to really do is we want to drive innovation and operation through systemic approaches and with systemic thinking. And this is why I honestly believe that you need to approach this from an empathy lens. Now, we talked a lot about the technologies and how to pick on the technologies, but I say that there is another layer that we want to look at. Because it's not just about the technologies, as I mentioned before, it's about the people. That's the whole reason why we are approaching this from an empathy lens. So if we want to focus on people and we want to make the systems work on the mundane tasks, we need to encourage and empower and enable people to focus on their high-value activity. So the high-value activities for a human are the activities that actually generate value the things that they consider as valuable or that an organization considers them as valuable for and will pay them for it. 
So for example, for a developer, it is pretty much writing code. And for an operator, it is ensuring that the platform is stable, it's resilient, it's operating properly, it's patched, it's secure, and it is reliable. So we want to start encouraging our people to start focusing on their high-value activity. So here are some examples of high-value activities like feature development, design, user experience, brainstorming, building software pipelines, domain-driven design, architecture, and secure scanning. These are some examples of high-value activities that people need to focus on. And instead, what we want to do is have the automation or have the systems focus on the low-value activity, which are things like infrastructure spin-up. Infrastructure as code is really valuable for this. And that was one of the reasons why we started doing it. Infrastructure spin-up, networking spin-up, manual patching needs to go away and we need to start making it much more systemic. Manual upgrades. Like there are still teams within organizations that do these manual upgrades and manual patching. And it is not a very nice task. There is, it is very painful. And instead, what we want to do is we want to upskill them. We want them to run the automation that does these things, and we don't want them to do it themselves. The same thing with manual testing, for example. There are much more sophisticated ways to do it. So we can bring in that automation. Meetings, um, there is, that is a very, very low-value uh, low activity in my mind. A lot of times, we don't really need those meetings because every meeting is a time sink and it prevents us from being creative. There are definitely ways by which we can eliminate the meetings. Uh, incident bridges and then PowerPoint architecture, for example. So the point that I'm trying to make here is we need people to focus on their high value activities and become value creators and allow the automation and allow the systemic approaches to focus on those low-value activities. The goal is not replacing the human. It is upskilling and elevating the human to perform higher-value activities and generate much more value, both intrinsically and to the organization. And that's what we want to focus on. And so this requires looking at things in a different way. We need a newer approach or a better approach. So we need to have a standards-based golden paths that have a real-time maps of apps operated by platform engineering. And we want them to be focused on three specific areas. We want the develop to become really good. So the developer experience has to be amazing. We want to have the golden paths to production as quickly and as optimally as possible. We want to capture that app knowledge and practices out there. And then we want to operate it and make sure that we can deploy, manage, and scale these apps seamlessly, even as the underlying infrastructure is updated. And then finally, we want to optimize. We want to continuously tune the cost and the performance and security of these apps. And we want to do it multi-cloud. And this is why Platform engineering teams are really, really powerful. And that's why they're picking up. And I know that there is an entire track that talks about platform engineering. And I'm really excited to learn from their insights. But that's why I'm so passionate about platform engineering, about developer uh, experience, about improving the quality of both the developers and the operators. This kind of an approach is really powerful and it's really beneficial for us in our, as an organization.
So let's take a look at the components. How do we build all these things together and create an empathic platform? The first one is we want to focus on the developer portion, right? We want the developers to develop things as quickly as possible, and we want to have the platform engineering team support the developers. So from a developer perspective, what we want is a one-touch environment. We want to be able to have that IDE integration. We want to have one-touch apps. We want to have that internal developer portal or the IDPs that have become really popular. We want to be able to generate code as quickly as possible. So this brings in the value for accelerators, for plugins that you require, for templates, for CLI, um, to all your favorite IDEs, or it maybe maybe something that is developed by your org itself. Um, there's a whole different track on build versus buy that I could go on, but I would say that focus on what is highly valuable to you. So if um, you you just want to have a developer portal that will help you to create and uh, develop the code as quickly as possible and convert it into features. And now after that, you want to have a seamlessly easy way to bring in that secure build, that secure scanning and signing. So it becomes systemic and you, we, as a developer, don't have to have that onus. We want to have modular platform composition, which is really important. And then we want to have automated manifest generation. That's that's amazing because I want to make sure that I have an S-bomb that is automatically created, have the manifest generated that I can prove and show what is actually present in it. And that helps with the vulnerability and threat mitigation. So this is what we want to focus on in a continuous improvement approach for the develop phase. Now, the next thing is we want to have an operate phase, right? And this is where platform as a product becomes really, really valuable. We want to make sure that the applications and the infrastructure are able to be managed from start to finish, which means that we want to have that lifecycle management to be seamlessly automated or at least controlled in a systemic way. We want to be able to have multi-cluster app deployments um, wherever possible. And the reason why I say multi-cluster is because if you are in a hybrid cloud environment, you want the developer to write code that is abstracted from the native SDKs or the APIs of that particular cloud and instead focus on the code and the features. And then there's an abstraction layer that brings in the ability to call on the various features that each uh, public IaaS or private cloud may provide. So the operation phase is focused on cost, on performance, on security optimization. And then after we connect all these things together, we want to have an optimized phase because we want to constantly keep improving things, right? We want to be able to observe and remediate apps, which means that we need to have really good observability. We want to have connectivity, policy control. So having the ability to manage across multiple clusters, multiple clouds, have visibility in that, policy management there, um, that single pane of glass that everyone uh, aspires for. Those are things that we want to look at. And then because we are measuring things in a much more systemic way, we want to analyze the cost and mitigate the services that are there. We want to do the R's, um, that is rotate, repair, and repave, um, and optimize the environments. And we want to do it in a consistent way. And this are the various components of an empathic platform. 
we are approaching it from a lens of reducing pain, of upskilling value for the humans, and looking at ways by which automation and systemic approaches can supplement and work on the low-value activities and probably perform all of them in a much more systemic and a rapid fashion. We're increasing the deployment frequency. We're reducing the delivery time. We're accelerating the time to market. And we're making it much more scalable and reliable with high availability and observability so that we can measure and optimize as we need. And this is what creates a really good empathic platform. And this can be done only with innovation and empathy. So what I recommend that we start doing is take an empathic approach to software. Almost every one of us is probably exploring or playing with newer technologies, probably in the Kubernetes space, um, probably in the API um, economy space, but we are actually focusing on things to improve upon them, to reduce, probably do a platform uh, or a technology rationalization approach. What we want to do is we want to take a more empathic approach to software. We want to make sure that the tools and the technologies that we are picking are going to actually reduce the pain, first internally and then afterwards externally. So our focus has to be improving the developer experience and the operator efficiency and improving human quality of life with these technologies. We need to have a centralized platform to develop, operate, and optimize any app on any cloud, if possible, on a unified platform. So pick and choose your centralized platform properly. And then uh, leverage your preferred tools. Again, it's strategic disruption, not disruption for the sake of disruption. So there are a lot of tools that are actually cloud native and being used today that you can just use and adapt. So you can leverage your tools today. You can use your preferred tools, your cloud native tools and open source software um, as required. And you also want to improve your practices and culture. One of the things that we have learned in our last three years is that it, because we are working in a remote and a hybrid cloud environment or a hybrid state of environment as a workforce, our tools and our processes and our practices are what are driving our organizational culture and behavior. So we want to learn new ways to build and run resilient software at scale. Um, a good example of it is VMware Townsend Labs or Pivotal Labs that we used to have. So for us, it has always been about empathy and it's about reducing the pain. And so that's an example that I throw out there. But we need to realize that the tools and technologies that we're using are actually driving our behavior, which, which is very exciting. But at the same time, it is uh, taking a step back and understanding what exactly we are trying to do with these tools and technologies. We are trying to accelerate app deployment, and we are trying to make sure that the customer gets the value as quickly as possible and benefits out of it and reduces their pain. And this requires empathy and innovation. I want to thank you for attending this particular session. I hope I have been able to reach out and give you some small nuggets of information and, you know, at least um, introduce newer concepts or approaches and perspectives. Um, I'm happy to connect and talk more about this. 
and have much more further in-depth conversations about it. Um, I've written a lot about it in my book, Leading with Empathy, Understanding the Needs of Today's Workforce. So take a look at it. It's available anywhere books are available. And I'm always passionate about talking about people and improving their human quality of life using technology. So hit me up on any of these uh, uh, social links or even email me. And and I would love to hear more from you, learn from you, get more insights. And together, we can elevate our organizations and reduce the amount of manual toil and friction that we have. And we can turbocharge our teams using the power of empathy and technology. Thank you.